So um, last weekend, I got to go out to lunch to a restaurant that I really can't stand. <laughs> and um, the deal was, it was a farewell for, for some friends, and I didn't get to pick the restaurant, I just had to show up to the restaurant. So, and I really don't like this restaurant. And uh, it was interesting because I had the most delicious lunch. It was absolutely fantastic, the lunch. And uh, the, the waiter was great, funny. And in fact, the whole wait staff was very, very friendly. The atmosphere was fantastic. It was clean. It was nice. Um, it reasonably priced for, for DC, for, for this restaurant chain. But I just don't like, I still don't like this restaurant at all. And in fact, the weird thing is, I've eaten there numerous times over the years, and I've always had good food. I've always had good service. I've always had pretty reasonable prices. The atmosphere has been great, but I just don't like this restaurant chain at all. Does, before I say what the name of the restaurant chain is, does anyone have a guess as to why, this is a participation time, as to why I just don't like this particular restaurant chain? Anybody? Anybody? Shout it out. Too loud? No, not that. Bad memory? No, that's a good guess, though. Too far? No, that's not it. Good try. Didn't like the broccoli? <laughs> no, what'd you say? Oh, they're not Bengals fans. Oh, they're from Pittsburgh. Now, now you're getting closer, but no, no. Um, let, me, let me give you a hint. Let me give you a hint. It is the Cheesecake Factory. The Cheesecake Factory. Anybody have any guesses now? Why, why don't I like Cheesecake Factory? Yes, very good, very good. I, I actually don't mind cheesecake, but there's too many options. There's just... You know, you can get anything like you want at the Cheesecake Factory, and some of you are like, that's why it's awesome. No, no, no. That's why it's terrible. I mean, look at the menu. You can't really see this, but this is pages 19 and 20. And that's not even the end of the menu. It goes into like 24, 25. It's crazy. And I just, I just, it's overwhelming. It's too complicated. I, I can't deal with it. And even when you finally make a decision, you're sitting there going, I mean, should I have ordered something back on page 17? Well, like, I'm, I probably, you know, th this wasn't the best thing I could have ordered. It's, it's nuts. In fact, the last time that I was there this past weekend, I, I didn't even bother with the menu. I'm like, forget it. Forget the menu. Hate the menu. So I just said to the waiter, I'm like, tell me what's good. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> You know, because I just, it's, it's too complicated. And the reason I share that story is because for many of us, we feel the same way at times about Christianity. In some ways it's simple, but, but it, it's complicated as well. I mean, let's start with the text, the, the, the sacred text that we have. It is a huge cheesecake factory menu type of thing, Right? My Bible has over 2,000 pages in it. Now, it's a study Bible, so it's a little bit bigger. But, um, man, that's, that's a lot of pages. That's a lot of stuff. And within those pages, you will find, with the Old Testament and the New Testament, over 1,500 commands, lessons, imperatives, all these different directives for us as Christians. And then you have all these different churches and denominations with all these different beliefs and doctrines about all these different kinds of things when it comes to Christianity. 
And shoot, we haven't even talked about politics yet and how that plays in. And we're not going to. Um, And we haven't even talked about divisive social issues and what that all looks like. When I think about the events of this past week in our country, what does Christianity have to say about that? All of a sudden, this thing that's very simple in some ways feels really complicated. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus takes very complex things and he makes them very simple and easy to understand. I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus' teachings have been so popular and so influential for so long. And what's fascinating to me is that when you think about Christianity and you think about how multifaceted and complicated it can be, Jesus basically boils down Christianity to two words. Like if you were going to define what does it mean to be a Christian, Jesus can boil it all down for you to two words. Those two words we find in an ancient document that was written 2,000 years ago. It was written by a guy named Matthew, who was actually a follower of Jesus. And um, he wrote an account of Jesus' life along with three others, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're actually the four gospel accounts. They're found in the New Testament of the Bible. And um, we're going to look at an excerpt from Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. And um, this is where we find these two words that Jesus says. So Matthew writes this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Now let me stop. He's actually writing about himself. So this was very common in the ancient world. When you'd write, you wouldn't just write about yourself in the first person necessarily, but you could write in the third person. And so he's here in his account is where he is writing about his encounter with Jesus. And so he says, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And then here are the two words that really encapsulates what it means to be a Christian. He says, follow me, Jesus told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. We're going to talk a lot more about not only those two words, not only today, but for the next few weeks as we unpack this series called Follow Me. But what you need to understand from this passage and this encounter between Matthew and Jesus, most important thing here is that Matthew's a tax collector. Now, none of us really uh, have a favorable impression of tax collectors, I would say, safe to say, unless you're married to one or you have someone in your family or a friend or whatever. We just don't enjoy the whole tax collecting process. 2,000 years ago, Oh my goodness. The context so, so different. You got to remember, the nation of Israel is under Roman rule. Roman Empire is thriving. And the Romans are taxing the life out of the Jewish people. But here's the kicker. The tax collectors, they were Jews. So they were basically seen as traitors to their own people. And the way that they would get paid is in addition to collecting all the taxes for the Romans, and they were kind of seen to be in bed with the Romans, turning on their own people, but they would have to mark up the taxes in order to have some money for themselves to, have a, to make a living and to have a livelihood. So they were seen as the most vile, repulsive people you could possibly imagine. They were hated. So if you think about a, a vocation today or someone, someone doing something today that you just can't 
can't even stand to think about it. Like think of a 20-something drug dealer who's like selling drugs or introducing drugs to middle school kids or something. You know what I'm saying? Just horrible. Like what, what is this person doing? And so here you have this most despised person who represents corruption and, and wickedness. And Jesus walks up to him and says, hey, Matthew, follow me. Now, those two words, that didn't just mean, hey, man, follow me. We're going to the Cheesecake Factory for lunch. That, that wasn't what follow me meant back then. A, a Jewish rabbi approaching someone and saying, follow me, this was an invitation to become a disciple. It was an invitation to someone to say, I want you to be my understudy. I want you to come and I want you to learn from me. I want you to do the things that I do. And so anyone who would have witnessed this scene of this, this man named Jesus, who is this rising rabbi teacher, started to do some healings and miracles, all of a sudden this most religious guy to the most corrupt, vile, repulsive person and said, follow me. Come on, man. That would have just blown your mind if you would have seen it. It's crazy. Well, it gets a little crazier from here because the next thing you know, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners shows you how bad the tax collectors were. They weren't even like in the sinners category. It was like, it was like another level of just awful. Okay. Many of them came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, Pharisees, they were like the super religious Jewish people. They were the ones that were keeping every single law and commandment. They, they could never defile themselves. and They always had to be holy and blameless and perfect. The, these guys were like, there was no one more righteous than, than the Pharisees. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, the reason this was such a big deal, this eating together, is because in the ancient world, if you would eat with someone, you would share a meal with somebody, particularly at their house, you were going way beyond just associating with that person. You are now identifying with that person or that group of people. You are basically saying, we are one. We are together. We're a family. How could Jesus possibly be associating with such a group of people. This is what the Pharisees wanted to know. And so they asked this question, why? Here's Jesus' response, and this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means, Pharisees. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, I don't know about you, but any time that I'm reading the Bible and I see an encounter between Jesus and the Pharisees, I get excited. Because these Pharisees are these self-righteous, condemning, you know, just holier-than-thou people, and, and maybe they remind me of some people I've encountered in my past. Uh, but I just love it because every time Jesus just sticks it to them, he's always got some incredible response or he humbles them. He does something, he just puts them in their place. And I love it, man. I'm just cheering Jesus on every single time. And, and here, when he says to these Pharisees, he says, Look, go and learn this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Here's what he's saying to them. Look, 
you can be all religious, okay? Make all these sacrifices. Do all these holy things. But it means nothing to me if you don't care about people. If you don't have mercy and compassion in your heart, then all the outward stuff you're doing that's, that's great, but if there's nothing behind it, I don't care about it at all. You got nothing. And so, I don't know about you, but, I, but I, I love that. I'm like, yeah, put the Pharisees in their place. But then when you kind of shift the focus from the Pharisees and you look at, at okay, well, let's look at the rest of what Jesus said there, it actually has some staggering implications to, to you and me. And, and here's, here's the deal. So Jesus said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So the implication there, I don't know if you're catching this, but the, is the implication there that, so if you're, like, if you're a healthy person, you don't follow Jesus. Like if you're a righteous person, you don't follow Jesus. Healthy people don't follow, it's the sick people who do. Righteous people don't follow, it's like all the messed up sinful people that follow Jesus. Does that mess with anybody else? Wait, hold on a second. So you're not healthy if you're following Jesus. Is that what, is that what we're saying? And that you might have a little bit of a visceral reaction to that. And here's what I want to say. If you can just kind of put that to the, put, put your own emotions to the side for a second, this implication that it's really only like flawed, messed up people who follow Jesus, just put that to the side for a second and just try and think objectively. Try and think objectively as much as you can. We might not like the way this sounds for us, but I think there's some real truth to it. Because if I think about my life, okay, think about your life, but I think about my life, I can't say I'm a righteous person. Like, I can't say that I've always done the right thing. When I think about all these 1,500 plus commands and directives and imperatives that are in here, there's no way that I have like, followed all of those things. I fall way short of God's standard. But forget about that. Like, forget about God's rules. If I'm going to be honest, I don't even follow my own rules all the time right? Like you set some new thing, like, okay, I got to get healthy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to treat my body. And then, oh man, I'm just really tired this week. It's not happening, right? Or I, I know the attitude I should have at work. I know the way I should treat my spouse or my girlfriend or my, my friend or coworker or whatever. And then what do you do? Oh man, I just blew it today. Sorry, God. We, we, don't, even, we don't even follow the, our own rules. Now, for those of you who have kids, remember you, maybe you remember back to when you were a kid and you think about your parents. But the really funny thing is, as parents, like, we have rules that our kids are supposed to follow, and we're not following them sometimes. <laughs> so a few weeks ago, um, I had my nieces out staying with me. Uh, my brother was visiting, and, um, and so we had, we had a great time, and, and um, they're at such a fun, cute age. And so... We were having like a throwdown breakfast. It was awesome. And, um, and I'm doing the cleanup from the breakfast. And my, my two nieces, Joey's on the right and Harper is on the left. They were in the other room with my wife and my kids. And they could still see into the kitchen, but they were kind of facing the other way. And, and they were busy with some game or something. So I'm, I'm putting away, I'm loading the, the dishes into the dishwasher. And we had had, we'd had crepes with like all kinds of awesome toppings. And I go to load my plate in. And just as I'm getting ready to load my plate in, I notice on the side of the plate, there's this glorious drizzle combination of chocolate sauce and whipped cream and um, maple syrup. 
like all kind of together, melded together. It was as if God himself had orchestrated this moment in my life. Do you know what I'm saying? And I literally, I was powerless to do anything about it. So the next thing that you hear is this audible gasp (gasps) coming from the other room. It's my youngest niece, Joey, on the right. She's three. And she just goes, (gasps) and it was such a gasp of like, oh my gosh, that it startled my wife. She was like, oh my gosh, did she see a mouse? Like, you know, it was some sort of like, so Becky's like, Joey, what is it? it, What's wrong? What's wrong? And Joey, without looking at my wife, is looking at her sister, Harper. And she goes, wide-eyed after that gasp. She just goes, Harper, Uncle Dalek just licked the plate. (laughs) I don't think my nieces are ever going to be allowed to have breakfast with me ever again (laughs) because I licked the plate. And you're laughing, but if you're going to be honest, you've licked the plate too. Now, here's, here's the point. When it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to the, the prerequisite, like what does it take to follow Jesus? What Jesus is saying here through these words that we've just read is that the only prerequisite to following him is that we have got to admit that we are plate lickers. Seriously. All you have to admit is, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm not righteous. I don't have it all together. We have to admit our need for Jesus. That's it. And it's staggering if you think about it. Think about this for a minute. The only prerequisite for following Jesus is admitting our need for him. So believing in Jesus, that's not a prerequisite for following Jesus. I'm going to say that again in case you're just like, what? Okay, listen. Believing in Jesus is not a prerequisite for following Jesus. It's not. You know how we know this? Look at those disciples. Look at the 12 disciples you read about in those gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus didn't have them pray some prayer. He didn't say, Matthew, okay, get down on your knees. Now let's have you confess. Let's have you pray this prayer. Put your faith in me. No, what did he do? Follow me. Let's go. These disciples went and followed. Did they believe in Jesus? Well, they believed something to some extent, but they didn't really know who Jesus was. They were intrigued with Jesus. Great teacher, had started to do some miracles. I mean, there was something special about this guy. At one point, Peter even says, you're the Messiah, you're the Christ. But was that a political Messiah? Like, what, what, what are we talking about here? You got to remember, Jesus, throughout the, the, the scriptures, you see him interacting with the disciples. He's like, come on, guys, have some faith. Where's your faith? Come on, you got to believe. We see Jesus, he calms a storm. You remember this? You might have heard this if you've, if you've read some of the Bible, you've grown up in church. He calms this storm. And you know what the disciples say when the storm gets calmed? They say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? They, they don't believe that he's like God in human flesh for them. I mean, they, they don't get that. And you know how we know that? Because Jesus gets arrested. He gets hung on a cross. And you know where the disciples go? They freak out, man. Woo, I'm out. If you believed that was God on the cross, hello, you'd be a little bolder, I think, probably, okay? That's my man. He's also God. Yeah, I'm good. I can stand right here. It's cool, right? They, were, they, they didn't believe. They didn't. 
But after, only after, they saw Jesus dead, put in a tomb for three days, and then he reappeared. Now they believed. Now the light bulbs clicked on. So you don't have to believe to follow Jesus. Jesus says, just come and follow me. You figure it out. It's okay. Now, not only do you not have to believe to follow Jesus, this is going to blow some of your minds. You don't have to behave like Jesus to follow Jesus either. You don't. And we look no further than Matthew in this same little excerpt here. Matthew's a tax collector. I mean, you can't get worse than that. You can't. And Jesus is constantly just coming to people and and it didn't matter who they are or where they're from or whatever. And he's just like, come on, just follow me. See, here's the deal. The, the, The Pharisees, those religious leaders of Jesus' time, here's what they would say. Okay, first you gotta change and then you can follow. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Just follow. The change will come, don't worry. But just follow me. So you don't have to believe in Jesus to follow. You actually don't have to behave like Jesus to follow. The only prerequisite to following Jesus is admitting our need for him. Now, if you're here this morning, and um, maybe you're just kind of very new to this whole Christianity thing, and you're just trying to figure out what all this means, and who is Jesus, and all this kind of stuff, and you're like, well, I have so many doubts, and you know, I, I have no idea. This is good news for you. You don't have to believe fully to start following. You don't. And you don't have to behave like Jesus to start following. Just start following. The, the challenge is that actually, probably the hardest thing, especially in our world today, is to be at a place where you say, yeah, yeah, I, I do have a need. I'm not perfect. I, I, I think I need you, Jesus. That, that's actually maybe the hardest first step to this whole thing. But let me just say, if you're here and you're just exploring the Christian faith, maybe it's just something that's a starting point that's as simple as this. If you look at how you've been living, like your way of doing things, right? You're kind of living by your own rules and doing your own thing. You're trying to live the best life you can. If you take a hard, honest look at that, maybe one of the reasons you're even here today is because you'd say, yeah, it's not everything that I want it to be. My way is not totally working. I mean, it's, it's working okay, but it could be working better. And maybe your starting point this morning is just to simply go, you know what? This Jesus guy was wicked smart, man. I mean, his teachings have survived 2,000 years. Not sure who he is yet, but um, yeah, you know, maybe I'll try his way. Maybe I'll try some of his teachings. Maybe I'll see if that leads me down a road and to a life that's better. It could be as simple as that. And I gotta tell you, you can start today. You don't have to pray some prayer. You don't have to make some huge decision. You don't have to, you know, do anything crazy. Say, you know what? I'm just gonna start following Jesus. Start learning about him. Start doing the things that he did. And that's really what this series is going to be all about in the next few weeks. Now, if you're here this morning and you consider yourself a Christian, you're someone, you say, yeah, I, I, I do believe in Jesus. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Um, the implications of what Jesus says here, they're, they're huge for us as well. I, I am one of those people. I consider myself a Christian. And, and I just want to read these words to you for a second and let you just meditate on them, Okay. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So who's he calling? Sinners. He's not calling the righteous. You know what's interesting? We can fall into a trap as Christians, 
especially if we've been at this a long time, where we think, oh, you know, yeah, I used to be a sinner, you know, way back before blah, 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 blah. Man, I'm so glad I'm not anymore. Like, I'm so glad that I'm all good now. And, and yes, in a sense, you're de- we're, we're good. You know what I'm saying? We're covered by what Jesus has done. We got the paperwork for heaven, you know, all that stuff. But that's, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about following Jesus. And the prerequisite for following Jesus is having a need for him, some reason why we follow Jesus. And so the danger here, if you've been a Christian a long time, is, and, and, and this will resonate with many of you if, you, if you say, yeah, you know what, I kind of feel like my faith's a little stagnant. Like, I'm, I feel a little stalled out. It's not what it used to be. Well, in the beginning, you know what? You had a huge need for Jesus. It was very clear. Maybe, just maybe. You kind of have this sense of like, I'm good now. I go to church. I do these different things. You know, I got it. I got it down. Do you still have the need for Jesus? Because, Here's the deal, and I, and I want you to hear this. this. I think it's a really important statement. A healthy relationship with Jesus, something we all want, okay? A healthy relationship with Jesus is predicated on a need for Jesus. We'll say that one more time. A healthy relationship with Jesus. This is coming right from what Jesus said in these two verses. A healthy relationship with Jesus is predicated on our need for him. Plain and simple, if you don't have a need for Jesus anymore, you don't really need to follow him, do you? It's like, I'm good. You know, when I get sick or something bad happens, Jesus will reconnect. But high five for now. Okay, we'll see you later. And if I'm just going to be honest, that, that happens to me in my life. This is a struggle for me at different times. And maybe for you, you're like, yeah, you're speaking to me right now, Derek. Let me just give you a very practical thing that you can do. If you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, just feel like, I, you know, I need to get back to that. I need to get back to following Jesus, okay? Here we go. Find something that you need Jesus' help with. It sounds very, very simple, but just think about it. Do you really need Jesus' help with anything? Are you kind of all good? So find one thing that you need Jesus' help with. Okay, and don't pick the lottery. I've tried it, okay? (laughs) Jesus doesn't answer that one, except in extremely rare cases. It's just not worth it. Take your attention somewhere else, okay? Find a need like, like an attitude or a habit or a behavior or a struggle, something that you need Jesus' help with. And, and, say, and then once you've pinned that thing, okay, I, yes, Jesus, I need you for this. Then here's the second thing. Commit to following Jesus to meet that need. I hate to sound so simple, but sometimes it, it's just that simple. Do you have a need for Jesus? Find the need. Find something you need Jesus' help with and then commit to following him to meet that need. I think we could all agree that in the wake of all of the events of this past week in our country, that we need Jesus. And we don't just need Jesus like as a nation and as a world, which obviously that's kind of primary, but, but also as a church and as individuals. You know, here we are, and, and we've got all sorts of stuff now that we're thinking and feeling, we're, we're frustrated, we're angry. This has, is, this is, you know, stirred up things maybe from experiences we've had in our past. For many of us, we're feeling hopeless. Like, what do we even do? We need Jesus' help just to even know, how do we process this, or where do we go from here? 
So maybe for you, that's a, that's a great starting point. And say, Jesus, I'm committing to follow you to figure that out. And in just a minute, we're going to close the service by asking for God's help and God's healing in light of everything that we're going through this week as a, as a nation. And so our music team is going to is going to lead us in a song, and, and John's going to close us with a word of prayer. But let me just say before that happens, just a kind of parting shot here. Um, Christianity can seem very complicated. It's like navigating that cheesesteak factory menu at times. But according to Jesus, it's extraordinarily simple. Two words. Follow me. And the question for you is simply this. Are you following? Are you following? Or are you just trying to like kind of figure out all this Christianity stuff and what do I believe and like doing a bunch of things, but are you following after Jesus? Because that's what the Christian faith is all about. So for the next few weeks, we're going to take a look, practically speaking, what does it look like to follow Jesus? Like, if you lived 2,000 years ago and Jesus called to you as you were sitting in a tax collector's booth or you were a fisherman or you were doing whatever you were doing and Jesus actually looked to you and said, hey, come follow me. What would that look like? I mean, what would you be doing? That's what's inspired this series. We're going to take a look. Jesus taught so many things, but what did Jesus actually do? Because you better believe that if we were following Jesus 2,000 years ago, we would be doing the things that Jesus did. And so that's what we're going to unpack for the next few weeks. What did Jesus do, and what does that mean for us? And next week, we're going to take a look at arguably the most important thing that Jesus did. I'll let you try and guess as to what you think that is, but you'll have to come next week to find out and then the implications for us. So what we want to do now is we want to close our service by standing all together. And I'm actually going to ask everyone to move in to the middle as much as you can. I don't want any seats in between you and your neighbor. Slide in. We want to be shoulder to shoulder, united together. Just keep sliding in. And John's going to take us home from there. All right. Thanks, everybody, for doing this. So uh, from Matthew, Derek just preached on Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector, he records the words of Jesus. Jesus says, if two of you agree and ask for anything, it will be done. Those are pretty strong words. If two of you agree and ask for anything, it will be done. So we're going to end by singing this song hand in hand up here. I'm not much of a hand holder. Actually, I don't like it. Uh, But this is a good opportunity to do it, and I think it's an important moment to do it. We wanted to end the service this way, and we didn't want to end this service because we thought it'd be a nice thing to do. Let's all stand hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder, and sing a song. You know, we could bust out, and we are the world, you know, some... We're not doing this because this is nice. Here's the reason we're doing this. 
We need God. That's what we're going to sing. We need God. And God says he answers prayer. And he says when people get together and agree, like we're unified. I think we're all unified around this. We need God's help. Our world is falling apart. We need God's help. We can't figure it out ourselves. We need God's help. And God says, when you pray like that, I will answer. If somebody would have asked me a couple years ago, does God answer your prayers? I would have said, yeah, you know, kind of, sort of. Uh, He answers my prayer not quick enough. He could speed the process up. But what I've done recently in my life, I've done a lot of journaling, and part of the journaling, I've been keeping answers. Every time I pray for something and there's an answer, I write it down what I'm praying for. When the answer comes, I write it down. This year alone, I'm up over 75 answers to prayer. I'm like, oh my goodness, God, you're like answering too many of my prayers. God answers prayer. And here's the thing. God says when we humble ourselves and we pray and we agree as a community that God hears and He answers. So we're not doing this because it's to be nice. We're doing it because God says He will answer. If we will pray together, God will help make a difference in our world, and Lord knows we need a difference in our world, okay? So as I pray, would you just agree with me and believe that God's going to come down and right some wrongs and put some things back together again because all the king's horses and all the king's men can't figure this situation out. We need God's help, okay? So let me jump in this line here somewhere, all right? pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, God, that you tell us to pray and you also say that you will answer. You will answer our prayers. And Lord, you know we need an answer. We need help. Our nation is being ripped apart, God. There's injustice upon injustice, tragedy upon tragedy. Our hearts are broken. We feel hopeless just like the guy on WTOP who is the expert in racial reconciliation. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to say. But, Father, you have the answer. And we're asking, Lord, that you would come down here and put this situation back together again. Right the wrongs. Heal the pain. Lord, Correct all the stuff that's happening. Father, we need healing. We need your help. Lord, would you move in a powerful way in our lives and in our nation and bring healing and hope today. Give us tremendous signs of hope. Last week, we had all kinds of signs of problems. Lord, this week, we're asking that you would give us sign after sign after sign of reasons to feel hopeful Reasons, God, to get up in the morning and know that, Lord, you're at work in this world. Father, we need it. Lord, help us. Help us, please. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.